Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, the Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world, only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Richard! Richard! Oh, are we on? Welcome to the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Hey, welcome to your Monday and two hours of news and notes from the underground. Listen and, and uh, enjoy, because this time next week, we may have to resort to broadcasting this program in Morse code. Uh, so now that we, we all understand the rules, right? If you're protesting the lockdowns, which have caused child mortality rates in this country to rise by 20% over the five-year average, the lockdowns that have decimated small business owners of all ethnicities and races, you are, according to Jagmeet Singh, a right-wing extremist or a white supremacist, uh, according to the mayor of Calgary. Speaking of Calgary in Alberta, they just arrested the third Christian pastor for allegedly organizing a church service, violating public health orders. That's quite a legacy, Premier Kenny, quite a legacy. Anyway, back to the protests. If you're holding a sign, on the other hand, that says e Israel equals Nazi, if you're throttling elderly Jews and sexually assaulting a young Jewish girl, then that's a legitimate protest. OK, so as long as we understand the rules, one is white supremacy and it's it's absolutely verboten and against the law. The other, well, we'll just look the other way. So what are these pro-Palestinian protests all about? Who's responsible for the latest round of violence in Israel? Art Moore, news editor from WND.com, will be here to discuss why as uh, the usual uh, mainstream narrative has it all wrong. A little later in the show, we'll hear from a retired commander with the British Army who will speak out in defense of the IDF. That's the Israeli Defense Forces. Our uh, small town family physician and lover of freedom, Dr. Patrick Phillips, 
is here every Monday. And of course, he'll be here again today. Wait until you hear about this peer-reviewed study, which shows the majority of uninfected adults show a pre-existing antibody reactivity against SARS-CoV-2. So let me just, that's quite a mouthful. Let me just repeat it. And then we'll get Dr. Patrick Phillips to explain it to me. Uh, So it's a peer-reviewed study. And it shows the majority of uninfected adults show a pre-existing antibody reactivity against SARS-CoV-2. What else is going on today? Um, I'm going to play some audio from U.S. Senator Rand Paul. Some more. That's right. We've been playing some clips over the last couple of weeks. He keeps hammering away at Dr. Anthony Fauci. And serious indications are that he and the NIH, the National Institute of Health in the U.S., funded dangerous gain-of-function studies at the Wuhan lab. lab. Some uh, believe, a growing number actually believe, that, that it is possible. I'm not saying that it happened, but it is quite possible that uh, the the virus, the coronavirus, escaped from the Wuhan lab where they were conducting these gain-of-function studies. Studies funded, possibly, by Dr. Anthony Fauci and the National Institute of Health. And if true, if true, it would appear that he could be culpable for the entire pandemic. Do we, do we really want to be taking anything this guy says seriously at this point? Shouldn't we just hit the pause button? until we figure all this out, who did what. And Bill Gates, Bill Gates, who uh, I like to call him the, uh, the latest James Bond villain. This is the guy that wants us to take the jab and eat synthetic meat grown in a lab. He also wants to dim the sun. Doesn't he sound like a James Bond villain? He wants to dim the sun, supposedly to forestall global warming. Yeah, that's a great idea, Bill. Anyway, it turns out, It just gets better and better, folks, with this guy. Apparently, he took uh, uh, relationship advice from Jeffrey Epstein. (laughs) Brilliant, brilliant idea. So uh, I think it's way past time we put him in the corner with uh, with Fauci. Uh, I'll discuss both those stories and more during the second hour and news not in the news with our good friend Lou. Uh, Dr. Warren Farrell is a New York Times bestselling author and one of the world's top 100 thought leaders, according to the Financial Times. He's in our featured guest spot today, and he joins us at the bottom of the second hour uh, to discuss his new book, The Boy Crisis. Why are our boys are struggling and what we can do about it? So what is a boy crisis, you ask? It's, it's a crisis of education. So for the first time in history, Our sons will have less education than their dads. It's a crisis of mental health, he says. As boys become young men, their suicide rates go from equal to girls to six times that of young women. It's a crisis of sexuality. Sex is a a minefield for for boys. They're bombarded with mixed messages, afraid of of being either too sensitive or not sensitive enough. It's, It's a crisis of fathering. Boys with less involved fathers are more likely to drop out of school, drink, do drugs, become delinquent, end up in prison. And it's a, it's a crisis of purpose. He writes that boys' old senses of purpose, being a warrior, a leader, uh, a sole breadwinner, are fading. And many bright boys are experiencing a purpose void. A purpose void, he calls it. Feeling alienated, withdrawn, uh, addicted to immediate gratification. 
And then compounding this issue are uh, things like addicting video games that lead to distraction and ADHD. So what is this boy crisis? It's a, a compre- his book, The Boy Crisis, is a comprehensive blueprint for what parents, teachers, and policymakers can do to renew our son's sense of purpose, to help them become men, fathers, and leaders worthy of our respect. So we don't just hear complain and whinge on this program. We, we try to offer some solutions. And Dr. Warren Farrell will be here, as I say, in our featured guest slot to do right that, to do uh, just that. All right. I think that's enough. Is that enough? Have you had enough, Lou? Richard, I can never have enough. Okay. Like, you know, I, your show is so jam packed with stuff I want to listen to and as well comment on, you know, when you talk about video games being, you know, the tool of the antichrist, I have to disagree and I'll tell you why all fathers and mothers are concerned about their young boys playing video games. And if you have faith and you properly help them see the opportunities, you know, the video game industry is a $200 billion a year business. It's bigger than films and sports combined in terms of annual revenue. And the jobs uh, that are available are pretty impressive, excuse me, in terms of, you know, annual income and demand for those services. So you've got to look at them as a gateway to better, not as an end unto itself. Now, will I say that I believe that video games are designed to create an addictive behavior pattern? Absolutely, but so is all media. All media is designed to create an addictive uh, behavior pattern. TV is that way? I don't disagree with you, Lou. I don't disagree with you. Uh, I think what Dr. Farrell is saying uh, is that you know, in, in the extreme, when you take it to the extreme. So, for example, uh, video games are great for uh, developing things like pattern recognition. Right. And um, uh, it, it, with, especially with, uh, with the aging brain, they're showing new, new studies are showing that, uh, that video games are great for actually the elderly. So that would not, be you know, me. I'm not one of these. Are you, are you talking about me? <laughs> Both of us. Both of us, brother. One day, one day we'll be the elderly. Not right now. But no, I'm not one of these. You know, I I have a lot of time for uh, games like Minecraft, where, uh, you know, my my guys love Minecraft. They're building things. No, that's that's not a a problem for me. But so we'll we'll discuss that games, the the video games that lead to uh, distraction, ADHD. That's what he's talking about. Uh, But would you would you concur that we have a boys crisis in society? Well, it depends on which boys you're talking about. I don't think it's the majority of boys. I mean, the young men that I had in the classroom who were uh, interns and so on, they just needed some guidance, right? I've had some very successful young men come through my reality over the last 20 years. And the reason that they had an affinity for me and I had an affinity for them is that they wanted something and I could help them get it, whether it was a career, a certificate or what have you, some credentials. So, you know, yeah, I think that, you know, you can influence how young men develop if you provide mentorship, if you've got a structure. Like when I was a kid, you know, you were in Boy Scouts. Now, am I trying to imply that Boy Scouts was like being an altar boy? Absolutely not. Okay, there was all kinds of shenanigans going in Troop One when I was a kid in the 1960s. Okay, you know, and that's where I developed shenanigans in Troop One. Oh, (laughs) make your you make it 
you grow hair on your chest, I tell you these stories, okay? I mean, it was just young men being young men, not offending anybody, maybe learning something about life, but it wasn't all on the straight and narrow, if you follow me. I understand, Lou. I think I can read between the lines. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> well, you know, we go to we'll, 10 we'll Mile River. We'll share a few of those stories over a schnapps later, my friend. It's time for German word of the day. Oopa! <laughs> Bring it on! All right. All right. Here we go. The German word of the day is. I got to step back here so I don't pull something. <laughs> <clears throat> Zinswerdigkeiten. Zinswerdigkeiten. I love that pronunciation. Yeah, not bad, eh? Not That's bad. great. So, uh, this is the German word for attractions. Literally, things worthy of seeing. You go on holiday, you make sure you see some Zinswerdigkeiten. <laughs> Do you have a list of which ones you got to check off on your journey? <laughs> That, that's a, yeah, that's a good idea. Always, uh, you know, come with a list. The Germans love their lists. Make sure everything is... <laughs> the German stand-up comedian. Joke number one. That's got a whole list. <laughs> well, you know, I when I was... Do we have a minute or... No. We could, let's, I'll save it. I'll talk to you about it in the next hour. You save that gold for hour two, my friend. Okay. No problem. Have a great morning. Happy capitalism. Tomorrow. I, I Happy capitalism. It. I beat you to it. Hey, you're stealing my act. <laughs> it's trademarked. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll be paying royalties later. When we come back, heroes and villains. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Richard Serra Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Heroes and villains. Hey, welcome back. So I've been uh, playing some clips over the last couple of weeks of U.S. Senator Rand Paul, Republican from uh, Kentucky, who's been really hammering away at Dr. Anthony Fauci, uh, questioning him uh, in uh, Senate hearings and also on the media, uh, challenging Fauci to answer questions as to whether he personally, along with or through, rather, I should say, through the NIH funded gain of function studies. This is where they juice up animal viruses uh, and then uh, infect human cells, uh, you know, to see how transmissible they are. And uh, there is some speculation that is growing that uh, such a gain of function experiment, perhaps, is what created the uh, the, the uh, coronavirus. SARS-CoV-2, and that it then escaped from the Wuhan uh, virology lab. So here he is on Fox and Friends. Uh, This is Rand Paul clip number one. Jody, please, uh, let's have a listen. Well, if he was being interviewed by a journalist, they would have asked, did the NIH, did your specific division of the NIH give money to the Wuhan lab? That's incontrovertibly true. What he's arguing is he's parsing his words. He knows his group gave money, but he's saying, oh, it wasn't for juicing up these super viruses. We gave it for other research. It's sort of like the Planned Parenthood argument. Yes, we give taxpayer money to Planned Parenthood, but it's not for abortion. Dr. Fauci's arguing, yeah, we gave it you know, the NIH and my group specifically gave it to the Wuhan lab, but they weren't supposed to be juicing up. The viruses. money is fungible, as you say, on Capitol Hill. But it's even worse than that. The Dr. Xi, the bat scientist that's the most famous one from the Wuhan Institute, when she published her 
papers which scientists across the board are saying are gain of function. They were juicing up viruses. She gave credit to Dr. Fauci. She said the funding came from, we have this in black yeah. and white from a peer-reviewed journal. She said the funding came from Dr. Fauci's National Institute AID, NIAID. This is Dr. Fauci's baby for 40 years. She lists him in the credits. He can't escape this. He did the funding. And my other question is, China's a rich country. They're kicking our butt in so many places. Why would we be giving them money for their research? Can't they spend their own money on their own research? All right, there is Senator Rand Paul. This guy is like a pit bull on a rump roast. He's not going to let this go. And I tell you, it's not looking good for Dr. Anthony Fauci, America's darling, America's favorite bureaucrat, uh, the voice, really, of the response to the coronavirus. And uh, here he is at being asked, basically, again, is this a cover-up? Clip number two, Jody. This is so crazy, though, because if this happened because of the NIH funding, and that came from Dr. Fauci, and then this spreads into a global pandemic, and now he's in charge of the response in the United States, the irony of that what do you make of that? Well, it's even, it's even worse than you make out. The person they appointed to investigate the lab from the WHO perspective is the guy who gave the money. So NIH gave the money to a group called EcoHealth. The head of EcoHealth, a guy named Asank, they got him to investigate whether Wuhan was doing anything inappropriate in their lab. But if they were, wouldn't he then be culpable? So doesn't he have a self-interest in smoothing things over? I'm not saying he did cover things up, but you wouldn't appoint someone who's in the line of uh, supply chain of giving the money to them because ultimately here's the rub. I don't know whether it came from the lab. Nobody knows whether it came from the lab, but who would be culpable? Dr. Sure. Fauci could be culpable for the entire pandemic. So could Dr. Sezank, Dezank, and so could Dr. Xi. I'm not saying that happened. I don't know. But you wouldn't put the people who gave the money to the Wuhan lab in charge of the investigation. That looks like a cover-up. All right. Well, well, we'll keep following this story. Again, Senator Rand Paul hammering away at Dr. Anthony Fauci. And uh, a question has to be asked, you know, how much longer... Uh, can this guy be sort of the 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 uh, the official voice and the face of uh, America's response to the uh, pandemic? Seems to me he's losing a great deal of credibility and worse, could be, could be culpable for this whole mess. Wow. All right. Um, in our hero section, I guess we'll put uh, Fauci in the possible villain uh, section there and Rand Paul in the hero column. Here's another group of heroes. Uh, these are the uh, the researchers with uh, Canadian Journal Clinical um, Investigations. And what they found, and we'll be discussing this with Dr. Patrick Phillips here in about a half an hour, a majority of uninfected adults show pre-existing antibody reactivity against SARS-CoV-2. Again, this is in a, a Canadian journal called the Journal of Clinical Investigation Insight. And as I say, um, I'll be discussing that with our small town family physician and lover of freedom, Dr. Patrick Phillips, in, uh, in about a half an hour. Coming up uh, next, what's really behind the recent fighting in Israel? And is the mainstream media getting it wrong yet again? Art Moore, news editor with World Net Daily, joins me next. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. 
Richard Serrett here along with the wilderness doc, Cass Ingram. I keep hearing about how black seed oil is good for so many things, Cass. Tell me more. It's huge for the heart and also the digestion and elimination, plus the skin. It was Nefertiti's beauty secret. So then if you have skin conditions, use the black seed oil topically and internally. And for your heart, lungs, kidneys, digestive system, wonderful capsules are available with fennel and cumin. Check your local health food store or the oil. Just take a teaspoon every day. This is a safe thing to take daily so you don't get sick, so you keep your heart good and you stay strong in your digestive tract, skin, renal support, and more. Freshly cold pressed black seed oil from North American Urban Spice available at fine health food stores across the GTA. Order online at oregano.com. That's O-R-E-G-A-N-O-L. 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 Cold pressed black seed oil from oregano.com. All right, welcome back. So the latest violence in Israel, according to the uh, the mainstream media's account of things, tensions uh, rose in Jerusalem during Ramadan. Palestinians claiming that Israeli police imposed uh, unnecessarily harsh restrictions on them during the month of fasting. Uh, Israeli policing of Palestinians then led to the use of uh, uh, gas and stun uh, grenades inside Al-Aqsa Mount Mosque, uh, a holy site, of course, for both Muslims and, and Jews. Palestinians then uh, are supposedly were threatened with eviction from their homes in Sheikh Jarrah. This is a Palestinian neighborhood outside the walls of the old city with land and property claimed by Jewish settler groups in the uh, Israeli courts. And then Hamas supposedly issuing a, an ultimatum to Israel to remove its forces from the Al-Aqsa compound and, and from Sheikh Jarrah and of the firing uh, r- rockets uh, at uh, Jerusalem, which was met then with resistance by Israel and fighting began. And of course, we now now know, uh, you know, rockets um, raining down on Israeli civilians uh, being fired by Hamas uh, from the Gaza Strip and uh, Israel returning, I think, trying to show incredible uh, you know, reservedness and, and discretion in their very targeted attacks. However, the mainstream media continues to uh, to, to paint Israel here as uh, the villain, uh, which is always the case. So what is actually going on there? Uh, let's uh, now welcome uh, Art Moore is a news editor at WND, and he's also uh, the author, the co-author of See Something, Say Nothing. Hey, Art, welcome to the program. How are you? Hey, thank you so much. Great to be here. Appreciate it. Yeah, My, my pleasure. So let's uh, sort of separate the wheat from the chaff in terms of the, the narrative here. This idea uh, that, um, you know, Israel once again was uh, some sort of a threat to the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Uh, I mean, we hear this time and time again. Any truth to that this time? No. What we understand is that uh, Hamas was urging people to collect rocks and stones and even chunks of concrete and to store them there at the mosque. And then they were uh, throwing those objects down at Jewish worshipers uh, from above. And um, obviously huge, huge threat that Israel had to respond to. And so the police came in and it's clear, we've seen this so many times over the years that the Palestinians, Hamas in particular, they're trying to create this, this moment where uh, you'll see, you know, the tear gas and Israeli forces and and the, the poor Palestinians, all they have are, are rocks, after all. And and to, to have that uh, shown to the world and, and you know, once again, the, the oppressor you know, versus the oppressed 
and um, it's 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 just sending a, a, a false picture once again. But that was one of the incidents that uh, was uh, used by Hamas as a pretext to begin launching these these rockets. And in the past, you know, their rockets were were small and relatively insignificant. But but now they've got uh, a lot of funding from Iran. And they've got, uh, you know, these trucks that they drive through narrow neighborhood streets. And each one has maybe you know, four big rockets on it. And they can launch them from Gaza all the way to the biggest city in Israel, uh, Tel Aviv. Another part of the narrative that we hear so often, uh, again, propagated uh, mainly by the mainstream media here in North America, not no less, is this the idea that this uprising or this violence, we should say, is in reaction to a legal dispute. Uh, that has resulted in the eviction of dozens of Palestinians living in, uh, I guess it's the Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood outside of the old city walls in Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah if you could speak yeah, to that. Yeah, and, and that's, that's a, it's a situation that has, it's a, it's a dispute that has gone to court, and Israeli courts uh, have, if anything, they've, they've leaned on the side often of, of Arab citizens, and uh, so it, it's been carefully adjudicated, and, and it was the courts that ruled in favor of people who who owned those homes way back um, more than 60, 70 years ago. And uh, so once again, Hamas is using that as, as a pretext. It was, uh, you know, if, if anything, these courts usually rule in favor of, of Arabs. And uh, so, uh, you know, to me, what you always have to go back to, and, and you can find this online, you can just Google the Hamas charter. And Hamas's very reason for existence, it was formed only in about 1987, I think. And its very reason for existence is to destroy Israel, to destroy the Jewish state, to make from the river to the sea, you know, meaning from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean, all Arab territory. All right, Art, we'll take a quick time out. Can you stay with us for one more uh, brief spell? Sure. All right. Back with more of my conversation with Art Moore, news editor, WND, co-author of See Something, Say Nothing. Back with more of The Richard Serrett Show here on Saga 960. Stay with us. Just having a little chin wag on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga 960 AM. All right, welcome back. Art Moore stays with us, the news editor with WND, WND.com, one of my favorite news outlets. And uh, Art is also co-author, along with Philip Haney, of See Something, Say Nothing, a Homeland Security Officer Exposes the Government's Submission to Jihad. Uh, we're talking about the, uh, the latest uh, violence uh, in uh, Israel. How much of this has to do with the uh, Palest Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas uh, basically canceling uh, next month's parliamentary elections? And uh, I guess because Hamas is, is supposed to do quite well in those elections. Is that what this is really all about, uh, Art? Yeah, I think that's a huge factor. There are others, but but certainly, and and people have to understand that uh, the Palestinian Authority is divided uh, physically between the Gaza Strip out on the coast and then the West Bank, uh, you know, which is uh, connected to Jerusalem and, and and west of Israel proper. And uh, Hamas uh, took over Gaza in two thousand six. And uh, Hamas, you can understand, as the more religious, you know, Islamic uh, authority, Palestinian authority, 
you know, has has the history of going back to Yasser Arafat, you know, who uh, was more of, uh, you know, a, a statist, I think, uh, uh, Marxist, you know, with some Islam mixed in. But the Palestinian Authority, um, you know, is, is the, the de facto you know, authority over, over that area. Uh, but Hamas has, has gained, uh, you know, a lot of popularity. Uh, and uh, so clearly, uh, yeah, Abbas has, has been, uh, I think they've canceled, uh, I don't remember how many it is now, but several of the recent elections. And uh, he's just hanging on to power without uh, any elected authority. The, uh, the IDF, uh, again, not surprisingly, in the mainstream media here in North America, taking a great deal of criticism for, well, they've even you know suggested that they're being very callous and, and um, not targeting civilians, but they don't seem to care you know, that, uh, that Palestinian children are being caught in a crossfire. Uh, of course, we had that, um, that, that uh, office tower in uh, Gaza come down. We later learned it was uh, holding Hamas... Uh, I guess it was some Hamas had some some offices in that building, it, but it also he, uh, held uh, offices for the Associated Press and Al Jazeera and so forth. Can you t- talk a little bit about how the IDF takes, to my mind, extraordinary measures uh, to make sure that they minimize uh, civilian casualties? They, yeah, they absolutely do. So if there's a building that they're targeting, they've got intelligence that says this is a Hamas building and They'll, they'll actually, uh, you know, shoot um, a projectile, and they call it knocking on the roof. It's a projectile that will hit the roof, not do damage, but it'll warn. And then along with that, they make phone calls. Uh, they, they've got you know, some of these Hamas terrorists on speed dial, I guess, and they'll say, look, it's, it's coming. They give them ample warning, ample warning for civilians to move out. But the reality is, is that Hamas uses its own people, innocent people, as shields. And one way they do that certainly is, and I mentioned earlier, they have these trucks with the missiles that they'll drive through these narrow neighborhoods. So they'll shoot, they'll fire these missiles at Israeli civilians, hoping to hit Israeli civilians. And they do it from a place where if if uh, Israelis fire back, then there will be. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Casualties, civilian casualties, Palestinian casualties, which is what they want. This is how they do warfare. And uh, so, I mean, there's many things you could say about just how different the values that the Israelis have are, are different from Hamas. But Hamas is a, is a radical uh, movement that, again, intends to destroy Israel. They will use whatever tactics they can to do that. And so 
it's 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 just appalling when you see you know, for one this um, equivocation and, and and you hear are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and overpolicing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. You know, unlike the previous administration, you hear the Biden administration, you know, say the right thing on one hand where, yes, Israel has a right to defend itself, but then they'll hedge that and they'll say, well, they have to, you know, use uh, proportionate uh, measures. And uh, uh, nobody would say that to any other country. You know, if, 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 if my country or your country, you know, the, the neighbors were lobbying, uh, not lobbying, firing deadly rockets you know, at, at the downtown of, of Toronto, for example, uh, you know, you'd have a whole different uh, attitude. But somehow it's different because it's Israel and and, and, you know, we think we know the story. That's a whole other thing that would take time to go through is what is the history? And there's a Palestinian history, which, which just doesn't line up with reality. In the Internet age, you can you can look up the claims that they make about you know, the, the, the 20th century history or, or going back 3000 years where there were Jewish people in Israel. And they say, no, that's that's a false history. So I think in the world mind. There somehow is this idea that the Palestinians are, are, are this oppressed people who had their land stolen from them. And that's, that's just not really the story. And so I think some people justify, you know, telling Israel, you have to show restraint when, in fact, um, it's a terrorist organization that is attacking them. And Israel is, you know, with their technology, you know, with their intelligence, with their know-how, doing everything they can to make sure that no Palestinians die. And by the way, a lot of those rockets, like 300 or 400 of those rockets, have landed in uh, Gaza and have, um, in many cases, uh, killed or wounded Palestinians. Right. Hamas's own rockets, in other words, they misfired. They didn't reach their target. They came back and they just, you know, they uh, killed and injured their own people. Well, Art, uh, thanks for for spending some time with us. We'll have to have you back on and and discuss this further. Hopefully things will settle down. I I highly doubt that, you know, there'll be other flare ups and so forth. And uh, uh, hopefully we can uh, we can get you back on. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Richard. Appreciate it. Art Moore, news editor, WND, co-author of See Something, Say Nothing. When we come back, our small town family doctor and lover of freedom on this new peer-reviewed Canadian study in the Journal of Clinical Investigation Insight, saying that a majority of uninfected adults show pre-existing antibody reactivity against SARS-CoV-2. We'll have that for you next. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. 
All right, welcome back. A brand new peer-reviewed Canadian study in Journal of Clinical Investigation Insight uh, concludes the majority of uninfected adults show pre-existing antibody reactivity against SARS-CoV-2. Here to help make us uh, make sense of it all is our small town family physician and lover of freedom, Dr. Patrick Phillips. Hey, Patrick, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Richard? Uh, well, I'm potentially very excited by this study. Should I be? Absolutely. Yeah, I think this is this is some great news uh, and uh, actually quite surprising uh, uh, to the extent of, of, of how much uh, pre-existing immunity we have in our community. Um, yeah, so in this study, uh, 276 individuals were uh, recruited in the greater Vancouver area and uh, they essentially found uh, that up to 90% of, of people have uh, antibody reactivity to SARS-CoV-2. And uh, what they found was that uh, the structural simul- similarity between the, the four circulating uh, coronaviruses that cause the common cold every year um, uh, basically allowed your immune system to develop antibodies that also react to SARS-CoV-2, which causes COVID. Um, so this is this is exciting, and it, it does correspond as well to other peer-reviewed research with, that shows 40% of individuals have pre-existing T-cell immunity to to COVID as well. So this is these are huge amounts of uh, of pre-existing immunity. Um, in our communities, and this is just the people who haven't even been exposed to COVID. They, they purposely took out people who are who who had COVID, uh, and they weren't included in this study. So this is all people who just have, like I said, pre-existing uh, immunity. Uh, so, so just to uh, recap here, Dr. Yeah. Phillips, you're saying that according to the study, 90%, this is a projection, I guess, based on their study, yeah. 90% yeah, yeah. of adults have... Uh, something called zero reactivity to mm-hmm. the, the spike protein uh, um, from SARS-CoV-2, and then another yeah. forty, and then and then of those, or I guess of the general population, forty percent have T cell immunity. So does that mean that we all we we've already achi- achieved herd immunity without vaccines and so forth? Uh, that's possible. So that's that's not entirely clear here. So we know uh, when you uh, have an antibody response, especially to the spike protein, uh, that often is helpful to neutralize and to prevent infection. Um, but it doesn't always work that way. Like as we know, people with the vaccine or um, can can still catch COVID. Um, so often, what this does. Uh, when we're, we're talking about immunity, it's it's definitely a, a boost. Sometimes it can prevent infection. Sometimes it can just help you fight it off. So it's something much more mild. Um, so that that extent is not entirely clear, but certainly uh, our immune systems are are pr- primed and ready for the most part to to be able to fight off COVID. Um, and this is something we've seen quite clearly. If you look at um, if you look at the the statistics, right? Who who's most likely to to um, to die from COVID is people who are much older, whose immune systems are weaker uh, and less less able to to fight this off. But uh, young people and and healthy people um, in general, their immune systems uh, are are quite adequate to to be able to fight off this disease. 
So this Canadian journal, the Journal of Clinical Investigation uh, Insight, is um, is this a widely a widely respected known journal in the medical profession or even in the among public health officials? In other words, is this likely, uh, you know, to get some daylight? Um, I think with this this kind of information, I, I think I think it is. Um, to be honest, there's so many journals out there um, uh, in in so many different fields. It's 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 not uh, like the New England Journal of Medicine or anything, but it's definitely peer reviewed. This is quality research um, that's been published uh, internationally, and it's it's gone through that peer review process, uh, showing that it's. Uh, the, their, their findings and methods were valid. And so uh, science is science, right? So, so if, they, if they had proper methods, then this is valuable information that the international community and especially the Canadian community should be taking into account when we're creating our public health policies. And if 90% of people, their immune systems are already primed and ready to fight off COVID, we don't need these drastic and harmful uh, restrictive measures such as lockdowns to keep people healthy. All right. Well, let's let's hope that someone out there in, in a position uh, of authority or someone who's you know sitting around the science table is going to look at this and uh, you know take this uh, into serious consideration when you know considering okay. when June second rolls around and once again they're talking about uh, you know moving the goalposts. Uh, Dr. Phillips, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Richard. Dr. Patrick Phillips uh, can be followed on Twitter at uh, Dr. P underscore MD. Dr. P, D-R-P underscore MD. All right, hour two awaits. Of course, news not in the news with Lou. And uh, also, Dr. Warren Farrell, author of The Boys' Crisis, will be here. We'll also hear a little bit of audio from a retired British Army Colonel Richard Kemp in praise of the Israeli Defense Forces. That's all part of Hour 2 when the Richard Serrett Show continues straight ahead. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Hey, Richard! Hello, yes. Can I help you? Richard! The Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. All right, Hour 2 has launched. Coming up in our featured guest slot, Dr. Warren Farrell, author of The Boy Crisis. He's a New York Times bestselling author, one of the world's top 100 thought leaders, according to the Financial Times. And again, we'll uh, drill down into uh, The Boy Crisis. And um, just before that, I'll play some audio from a a retired British colonel, uh, a retired U.S. or sorry, British Army colonel, Richard Kemp. Uh, in in praise of the uh, Israeli Defense Forces and how much uh, how much uh, um, I guess reservedness they show, how much caution and care they take in, in order to minimize civilian casualties whenever they're involved in um, in a war, which is what is going on over there right now, as uh, Hamas continues to fire rockets uh, on uh, Israeli civilians. Uh, and uh, let's see what else do we have going on. Oh, of course, news not in the news coming up with uh, Lou Skizis. And I also want to mention coming up tomorrow, 
finally, we have this confirmed. Uh, there's no backing down now. We've got uh, famed criminal and uh, uh, civil rights attorney Alan Dershowitz will be here. He's in our featured guest slot as well. Coming up uh, later in the week also, uh, Dr. Um, Belinda Carajalios, New Blue uh, Party co-founder and MPP for Cambridge. Uh, she's trying to uh, get this um, private member's bill of hers, one, uh, Bill 150, uh, through committee and hopefully onto the uh, the floor for a vote at Queen's Park and says the conservatives have been a progressive conservative government has been they've been dragging their feet for over a year holding up this le- legislation and she's trying to instill some transparency in uh, internal party votes so um why would they be against that ask yourself that question anyway um and also uh Jim Carahalios her um her partner, also co-founder of New Blue, will be here towards the end of the week. All right. Before all of that gold, it's time for news. Not in the news. The news. Hey, Lou. Hey, Richard. Great to be with you. So last hour, you know, you, we were talking about this boys crisis and your feature interview coming up at the bottom of the hour, right? Yeah, yes. Yes. Yeah. And I was telling you that in my day. You know, uh, Boy Scouts provided an outlet for us, you know, to gain skills, go camping and stuff like that. And, you know, I I was telling you in Troop One, there's all kinds of shenanigans. Now, what do I mean by that? You know, we weren't like, well, we were kind of like angels with dirty faces. So at 10 Mile River River Scout Camp, uh, you know, it was cigars and poker in Kogan's cabin. And, you know, <laughs> that's the way it went, right? It's like, yeah, it wasn't in the Boy Scout handbook, you know, bring cards, bring cigars to uh, summer camp at, right, right. with Troop One. But, you know, that's the way it transpired. Right. And there so was some, go ahead. Did you, so you got your reprobate badge. <laughs> <laughs> that was the unofficial reprobate badge. That's right. Good for you. And we Good also studied. Fun. We also, you know, had uh, uh, diagrams in comparative anatomy, and that wasn't <laughs> oh, official. You did. And, that wasn't, you did. and that wasn't part of the official, uh, you know, uh, merit badge program either. But you know, some of the older guys showed some of the younger guys what it was all about. You know, right, right. So that was Troop One. Was that Troop with one. Was that with Larry Storch and uh, and Forrest Tucker? <laughs> No, I'm sorry. That was F Troop. That was F Troop. Come on. Get your troops together and straight, man. (laughs) All right. Uh, Reading Anthony Fury, who uh, I have a great deal of time for writing for The Sun and also does some uh, work with True North. And he was saying, you know, when you look at what happened over the weekend with the the pro-Palestinian rally at Nathan Phillips Square, you had the the anti-lockdown rally at Queens Park. He said, but even if you put those two things aside, And he just, you know, walking around and I've noticed the same thing. People are going to the parks. They're playing soccer with their kids. They're just disregarding the lockdown. And he was his opinion piece was basically the stay at home order is effectively dead. What are your thoughts? Well, I have to agree, except for the fact that, you know, other than the parks and the outdoors and what have you, uh, there's no place else to go. Right. Restaurants are closed. You can go to the, you know, a big occasion in my family's going grocery shopping. Right, Which right. one? Are we going to Walmart? Are we going to Fortino's? Are we going to Longo's? Where are we going? We're going to the grocery store. Oh, my God. You know. <laughs> yeah, big, big, big excitement. Shoppers sure. Drug Mart. Oh, my God. We're going to Shoppers. <laughs> you know, what was the uh, the word for the big event? The German word of the day? 
Oh, oh yes, yes, yes. Okay, now you put. Hang on, give me a second here. Let me ask. Uh, the spectacle. Okay. The... It's Zinswordischkeiten. Yeah, Walmart. <laughs> Zinswordischkeiten. <laughs> Fortinos. That's it. That's it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think I, I just think saw people... a hand come through the screen. That what was, went into the? Uh, that was the IT. That was the IT department uh, adding a little uh, flavor to my water. Okay. I've got them well trained. You see, very good, excellent. Okay, garçon, Boy, that's service, garçon. Where is my braised shrimp? <laughs> Coming soon, sir. <laughs> All right. So yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that psychologically, people are are done. Uh, not everyone, of course. You know, I was reading there was a, a report out of the Great Britain that that ten um, percent of Britons say they want this lockdown to go on indefinitely. Ten percent. Well, you know, Richard, I've been home base for a long time. In fact, my dear friends always say, Lou, when are you coming out of the bunker? And all <laughs> I can say is why? What's out there that, you know, I can't reproduce for myself, right? Yeah, but, but that's, that's a matter of personal choice. That's absolutely. You know, it was a personal choice. And, you know, I mean, I would go out to do things with my wife and daughter, like, you know, when Madeline had a skating competition. I had to skedaddle to go do that and, you know, those kinds of undertakings. But generally, you know, I was here in the bunker and happy about it. And I see, you know, you've redone your bunker for a longer stay, right? Yes. Yes. We're battening down the hatches. Right. I mean, I can see, you know, new shelving, you know, your antique radios, your, you know, staff bringing you all kinds of, you know, additions to your lemon water, you know. Beautiful thing. <laughs> no, life is, you know, it's not bad, all things considered. Hey, when I ask you about what they're doing in France, they have formally kicked gender neutral language to the curb. Uh, they're saying it's a danger to their nation. And this is uh, the French government, of course. And uh, they're, you know, they're they're continuing to crack down on what they see as far left attempts to make the uh, the country woke. So they're going to ban the use of gender gender neutral language in schools. I'm all for that. What do you say? Well, you know, I mean, when I have to listen to the, you know, people who menstruate story and the uh, irregular immigrants and the uh, people who are pregnant, you know, I, I'm saying it's here, too. And what I'm saying is BS, baby. You know, you take that on the road and get out of here. All right. Oh, what is that? A news bulletin? Hang on <laughs> just a second here. All right. On? Yes, it is a news bulletin. Well, we were talking about uh, woke language. Apparently, uh, Twitter didn't get the memo because they temporarily suspended a Spanish politician uh, because he, he tweeted a man cannot get pregnant. A man cannot get pregnant. They, they uh, actually said that violated the platform's policies on hate speech. And no, this is not a Monty Python sketch. This actually happened. Hail victory. Hail victory. <laughs> That's it. You put that on a T-shirt, sir. <laughs> uh, all right. So I've been calling uh, Bill Gates my favorite James Bond villain. And, uh, you know, this is the guy that wants us to just be quiet. Take the uh, take the vaccine. He wants to dim the sun. This is his you know, it's like a plot right out of Dr. No or Goldfinger or something. He actually wants to, uh, you know, uh, like crop dust particulates into the air and dim the sun to forestall global what warming. What could go wrong? Exactly. What could possibly go wrong? Well, now it, uh, it turns out that he re received marriage advice from his good pal, Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you don't have to take it. 
you know, it was probably the best advice he never took. Well, who knows? Maybe he did take it. The point is, that, I mean, he sought it out. It wasn't like, you know, Jeffrey sort of foisted it upon him at a, at a cocktail party. He actually, you know, went to see him like on something like three dozen different occasions. And this is after 2014, uh, you know, after the after we knew about Epstein. Well, you know, billionaires can only relate to billionaires. Right. They're different than you and me. Right. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's a statement and a half. <laughs> that's, isn't that the old saying? The rich are different. Oh, yeah. He's different. That's that's for sure. Yeah. I you know, I I loved Bill Gates when he was building Microsoft, you know, binary bill, the Henry Ford of my generation. I right. mean, his reputation is getting tarnished, much like Henry Ford later in his career with uh, his anti-Semitism and that sort of thing. So, you know, I mean, I guess not everything's perfect. Not everything's scripted. Right. True enough. All right. Uh, very quickly on this one, a new survey uh, speaking to sort of the, uh, you know, machismo and so forth. Seven percent of men, Lou, think they can beat a grizzly bear in a fight. Twenty three percent believe they can beat a king cobra. Yeah. You know, that's a bit delusional. If you'd been in, in troop one, you would have learned. Right. Don't mess with the wildlife. That was the first rule. You know, even like, you know, bats in the lean tos and stuff. Don't mess with them. Nothing good can happen. Right. right. And, you know, uh, you know, I would recommend that people f- who think they can take on a grizzly bear should see that uh, movie. What? Le Revenant, the Revenant. Oh, I, I've tried to see. I've tried to sit through and watch that three or four times. I can't. It's just. Uh, it, well, it's brutal. right? It is brutal. It is. Yeah. brutal. There's somebody getting clawed and dragging himself to safety. Not something you want to do on a weekend. So uh, any any. Um encounters with wildlife very quickly you'd like to share? I don't know. Did you ever like do a, a leg wrestle with a chipmunk or something? I don't know. <laughs> no, but when I was living out West, uh, we used to go bow hunting. And one day I'm in the bush and I see a dead carcass of an elk and I'm looking around saying something's chewing on that. And I hope I'm not the, you know, the after dinner mint. So I beetled out of there pretty quick. Right. Right. No, you definitely want to. You got to know. Uh, you got to know. Like when all you have is a pointy stick. <laughs> all right. You know, you don't want to be messing with no grizzlies. No, no. Wow. No, that's true. You want to put some uh, miles between you and that carcass because they will. Uh, if you get between that and the bear, you are in big trouble. They say that's the worst way you can go is to be eaten alive because that's what they do. Right. They just kind of sit on you and they just they eat you slowly. Not all at once. <laughs> You know, you don't eat a good loo all at once. Yeah, no, you got to savor it. <laughs> That's it. All right. Maybe my a friend. little Chianti. <laughs> we'll chat tomorrow. All right, buddy. Happy capitalism. Happy, Happy capitalism. Happy, you're stealing my act. <laughs> Love you. Bye. Love you. All right. Okay. When we come back, a retired British Army colonel in praise of the Israeli Defense Forces. That's straight ahead, right here on the Richard Serrett Show. Stay with us. Continuing with the conversation, this is The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. Learn to access the subconscious mind at the Hypno Healing Institute of Toronto, and you can help others achieve success, eliminate bad habits, and build better relationships. You can be trained to be a consulting hypnotist in just 100 hours online by registered psychotherapist and award-winning board-certified hypnotherapist, Debbie Papadakis. Gain the knowledge to help yourself and others. Hypno-healing.com. Hypno-healing.com. Hypno-healing. 
Jewishmoneyradio.com. All right. Well, during this uh, uh, heightened tension in uh, Israel and, of course, uh, violence and, uh, you know, massive casualties on both sides, uh, the Israeli Defense Forces, of course, taking it in the eye by the mainstream media. Uh, But in fact, the Israeli Defense Forces uh, show incredible, um, incredible discretion and uh, extreme caution in order to minimize wherever possible civilian casualties. And I thought this was an interesting commentary by a British retired army colonel, Richard Kemp. Have a listen. There are two views of the Israeli military, what you hear in most of the media and the truth. I'm going to tell you the truth. I was the commander of British forces in Afghanistan. I have fought in combat zones around the world, including Northern Ireland, Bosnia, Macedonia and Iraq. I was also present throughout the conflict in Gaza in 2014. Based on my experience and on my observations, the Israel Defense Force, the IDF, does more to safeguard the rights of civilians in a combat zone than any other army in the history of warfare. Why is this so? Firstly, Israel is a decent country with Western values run on democratic principles. Israel has no more interest in war than Belgium does. In fact, Israel has never started a war. The only reason it ever goes to war is to defend itself. And it has to defend itself, because unlike Belgium, it is surrounded by countries and armed groups that want to destroy it. Secondly, Judaism, with its unsurpassed moral standards, remains a major influence on the citizens of Israel. I say this as a non-Jew. Thirdly, the army is composed overwhelmingly of citizen soldiers. Israel's a small country with a small professional army. To fight a war, it depends on its conscripts and its reservists. These are ordinary citizens, from professors to plumbers, called upon to defend their homes. They don't want to be fighting, and they don't want to harm others. Nowhere was the essential morality and decency of the IDF more evident. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Than in the Gaza War of 2014, if ever there was a purely defensive war, this was it. The war was started by Hamas the terror organization, designated as such by the U.S. State Department that runs the Gaza Strip. In the first six months of 2014, Hamas launched hundreds of rockets at Israeli civilians. 
after repeated warnings from Israel to stop, the Israeli Air Force finally conducted precision strikes to halt the rocket fire. And the IDF advanced into Gaza to destroy a network of terror tunnels that Hamas had constructed to attack Israeli communities near the Gaza border. The IDF took extraordinary measures to give Gaza civilians notice of targeted areas, dropping millions of leaflets, broadcasting radio messages, sending texts, and making tens of thousands of phone calls. Let me repeat that. The Israelis called Gazans on their cell phones and told them to leave their residences and move to safety. Never in the history of warfare has an army phoned its enemy and told them where they're going to drop their bombs. Many IDF missions that could have taken out Hamas military capabilities were aborted to prevent civilian casualties, increasing the risk to Israeli citizens and soldiers. Despite all of this, of course innocent civilians were killed. Every war is chaotic and confusing, and mistakes are frequent. But mistakes are not war crimes. Hamas, on the other hand, committed war crimes as official government policy. Hamas deliberately positioned its military assets among the civilian population, hiding weapons in schools and hospitals, and placing rocket launchers alongside apartment buildings, then forced those civilians to stay in areas they knew would be attacked. They also instructed their people to report the lie that every Gazan killed was a civilian, even if they were actually fighters. And if there were no civilian deaths, Hamas made them up. Numerous internet sites show Palestinians elaborately staging sniper victims and smashed ambulances, among other phony horrors. It's so common, there's even a term for it, Pallywood, as in Palestinian Hollywood. Ironically, it's the leaders of Hamas themselves who best understand the extraordinary measures the IDF will take to protect innocent civilians. They take full advantage of Israel's decency and adherence to the laws of war. No army takes such risks in order to protect civilians as the Israeli army does. I say this as a professional soldier. I say it because it's true. And people who care about truth should know it. I'm Colonel Richard Kemp for Prager University. All right, bears worth uh, repeating. Israel is our friend and our ally. Hamas is not. When we come back, Dr. Warren Farrell, author, co-author of The Boy Crisis, New York Times bestselling author, one of the world's top 100 thought leaders, according to the Financial Times. That conversation is next. Stay with us. This is Newstalk Saga 960 AM, and this is The Richard Serrett Show. Hey, welcome back. Our boys are in very bad shape. By almost virtually every key metric, our boys are declining in a a dramatic way. So the bad news really is contained in the boy crisis, why our boys are struggling and what we can do about it. Uh, The uh, co-author is Warren Farrell. 
uh, author of The Myth of Male Power. The other co-author, John Gray, author, of course, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. And we're uh, delighted to have Dr. Warren Farrell with us today. Warren, how are you? I am doing very well. Thank you for uh, for joining us. Sadly, our boys are not. Uh, let's go through some of the uh, the grim statistics. I don't know other, how else to describe it. Uh, worldwide, boys are 50% less likely than girls to meet basic proficiency standards in reading, math, and science. Uh, is that like through, through all grades, public uh, or primary grades, right through till, uh, to college and university? Right through to high school, yes. And, um, the, and so in all, in all 53 of the largest developed nations, um, boys are falling behind girls in almost every academic subject, and especially in reading and writing, which are the two biggest predictors of success. And it used to be girls were always behind boys in math and science, and now that's reversed as well. And so boys are far more likely to drop out of high school. And then, of course, boys who drop out of high school have unemployment rates in excess of 20 percent during their um, first uh, five or six years of uh, being in their 20s. And of course, um, and and that leads to huge numbers of other problems. The boys feel depressed. They feel uh, their testosterone is being channeled often destructively to um, to you know to maybe get involved with drugs so that they can make some quick money because they can't make their money um, as well and su- as successfully from a job. And that gets them into you know crimes and gangs and other forms of um, destructiveness. And girl, girls don't tend girls tend to want to um, date winners, not losers, and they're considered losers. And so um, then they turn to porn because um, uh, porn is giving gives them access to a, a variety of attractive women without fear of rejection and uh, at a price they can afford. And so that that gets them addicted to porn. And, you know, and, and the one thing just leads to another that leads to mental health problems, depression, suicide. And in the super worst case scenarios, that's where you're your um your um, mass shooters are almost all boys and your ISIS recruits are mostly males and your criminals are mostly males and so you have a whole series of negative um repercussions for the society from these boys who hurt and and you 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 say the origin of this is something called the purpose void what do you mean by the purpose void it used to be that um that every generation had its war and so um, during ge- that generation's war, Uncle Sam would say, you know, Uncle Sam needs you. And boys would say, all right, I am needed. I have purpose. Um, and that purpose may be for you to be disposable, for you to think of yourself as a man, um, and to be w- willing to sacrifice your life so that you could help save the country. So, you know, your father said that, you know, look at Uncle Joe. He's, you know, he's on, on a picture of him is on our mantle. He died in World War II and he was a Marine, and he gave his life for his country. We're all proud of him. And the boy who's being maybe criticized at home or doesn't have a father at home um, is feeling, oh, I can, you know, I can be, I can have some purpose. I can be honored. Uh, people will be proud of me. They'll speak well of me if I, you know, if I, 
and willing to risk my life at war. And people would say, well, my son is a Marine. And so uh, boys would feel that sense of purpose. Or alternatively, historically, boys um, would be told that if you're a breadwinner um, and you're the primary breadwinner and you do well, whether it's as a, a plumber or as a CEO of a corporation, uh, that you would be, um, you know, that women would be interested in you, that your parents will be proud of you. And so they had two senses of purpose. Today, we uh, have a purpose void because we need fewer men in war. Uh, fewer men are needed less to die as soldiers, and they're needed um, with women um, being much more likely to share responsibility for the for the breadwinning. Um, they have they don't have a, the the role of a sole breadwinner, and so that's two enormous burdens off their back. But it's also uh, so the good news is you know that <laughs> being um, being like less likely to be disposable is obviously good news. Um, having a, a, a woman or a, another partner that can share the economic um, burdens of a family is also good news, but it also means that men, so the good news is that men have more potential for different types of purpose, um, not just being a breadwinner, but maybe being you know, an actor, an artist, a writer, um, things that they never would have con- dreamed of being um, when they were younger. I mean, uh, a generation or two ago, because well, my father told me uh, when I was a kid, you know, um, and I had some talent at writing. Uh, he said, you know, I know you're really gifted at writing, Warren, but do not um, expect yourself to become a writer because um, a writer is only about one one percent of them get a publisher. And if you can't find a publisher, you'll never find a wife and you'll never be able to support a family. Uh, even if you do make it with one book, that's not a consistent source of income. It's very undependable. Uh, so don't even think about being a publisher. And, you know, most most young men who had dreams of writing a, you know, a famous novel or being a famous actor or um, or being a musician, uh, they learned when they have children to give up those dreams because it, uh, they were, it wasn't dependable and secure enough. So the the good news is that uh, boys and men, because the um, the money is being um, the mo- responsibility for earning money for a family is being a bit more shared now by uh, women. Uh, that many more men have some freedom to do things that they really love to do, like being an elementary school teacher rather than making twice as much money being an administrator, which most people hate to do. Dr. Farrell, I've got to jump um, in. Pardon the interruption. We've got to take a quick time out. We'll come back and discuss further. Sure, absolutely. Dr. Warren Farrell, The Boy Crisis, right here. The Richard Serrett Show continues after this. Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. We are back with Dr. Warren Farrell, The Boy Crisis. Uh, there's actually a chapter uh, titled, uh, Why Are We Blind to the Boy Crisis? Which was my next question. Why Why do we not seem to care about this? Because the way men serve the world until recently is to be disposable, to be disposable in war. So the job of men was to, we, we train men to be willing to die in order so, so that everybody else could live, um, especially young men. And so it was very difficult for us to be attached to the, 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 to a boy psychologically. If you know that there's a good chance you're going to lose him, everybody had an experience of what might be called cognitive 
dissonance. On the one hand, you wanted your son to live, and you know for sure. And on the other hand, you were um, proud of him when he risked his life to die. Um, so when a woman dies, we are uh, much, much more concerned because they they are they are what we are designed to protect, whereas men are designed to be disposable, and so we have not been willing to care about men's lives being saved as much, because when we care about men's lives being saved, if we were to all care about men's lives being saved, we would never want to have anybody go to war, and we wouldn't be protected as a nation. And so that's the the biological ambivalence inside of uh, all male animals from um, from insects right on through human beings um, that about having the male life be saved. So, for example, uh, among buck elks, um, the female falls in love with the um, the alpha buck elk, that is the buck elk which, with the biggest rack. Um, but that in order to get that biggest rack, he has to exhaust uh, 30% of his minerals and his nutri- nutri- nutrients and, uh, and calcium. And that makes him so weak uh, that even though he's been the one, he's the the alpha male that the female has been attracted to, the loss of calcium, nutrients, and minerals leads to him dying if he isn't able to get rid of his rack immediately. Um, it leads to him dying before the winter sets in if he doesn't replenish those minerals before the winter sets in. So what appears to be strong in men, that big rack is actually a facade for their weakness. So uh, men's weakness is often our facade of strength, and we don't, uh, and we're not programmed biologically to care about men dying um, because they're, they die in service of our living and, it, and we all care about ourselves living. And so that makes us care less about the men dying. That's fascinating. So it, it, our sensitivity to boys suffering and death is in competition with our own survival instinct. Exactly correct. You said it perfectly. So uh, this boy crisis, it's, this is not political. This is a health crisis, as you've sort of laid it out. Um, it's not like you're not placing yourself in opposition to, you know, the feminist movement, correct? No and yes. Um, meaning that um, it, it is, it shouldn't be political. We should, you know, everybody, feminists and all. I was on the board of directors of the National Organization for Women in New York City for many years, and I, I suppose I was um, the, the world's leading male feminist. So I certainly have a very strong desire to make sure that women are cared for and that they are, have multiple opportunities. And I will always uh, support that. However, uh, we as feminists um, did some, made some very big mistakes and one of them is we assumed we we had we had uh, we had preceded the movements that had preceded and informed us were things like the civil rights movement and the civil rights movement had oppressors and oppressed slave owners slaves and many of the early feminists um, the, my colleagues and so on were marxist in orientation they would read um, lenin's books that ex- explain why the family was a patriarchal institution designed to benefit men at the expense of women. And so when men made more money than women did, uh, the assumption among feminists was it was for the same work, which it wasn't, um, but and that the, the making of money was male privilege and male power, um, and that therefore men were the oppressors and women were the oppressed. And so you had a lot of books on things like Sleeping with the Enemy and, and the enormous ambivalence on the part of many early feminists and feminists today about men. And so so 
uh, and men being, um, and so even in schools today, many boys, young boys say to me that, you know, they're being told that the future is female and that they have male privilege and male power. And if they do really well, it's because of their privilege and power. And if they don't do really well, they're just losers. And so a lot of boys feel very um, like the, the atmosphere at school is antagonistic. They feel when they start getting to be of like teenage years, they're told that if they, you know, if they, if they, take the initiatives too quickly, uh, they're a sexual harasser. If they don't take, um, take them quickly enough, they know that they feel like they're being called a wimp. And so even though the boys are less mature than the girls are when they're in, te- in teenage years, uh, they're nevertheless feeling that they, the less mature sex, has to take the risk, risk of sexual rejection, that girls aren't being asked to take that risk nearly as much as boys are. Um, but when they do, they, uh, they feel caught between a rock and a hard place as to whether they should to do it more quickly or more slowly um, with the with the risks that I just mentioned a minute ago, and the feminist movement has unfortunately been very um, very focused on the hashtag Me Too that is the complaints that girls and women have, and I'm very much in favor of being being able to share the, your feelings, um, and so hashtag Me Too would be wonderful if it was a dialogue, but feminists are not proposing a dialogue. They're proposing a monologue, um, and when we we don't hear both girls' stories and boys' stories and women's stories and men's stories, then we leave men even more um, prone to keep their feelings to themselves than they already are. It's already a male problem to keep your feelings to yourself and being repress your feelings rather than express your feelings. And Dr. so, Dr. but the Farrell, feminist propensity me. to only pay attention to women, and if a man speaks up and says, gee, I have feelings too, some of the way I look at this issue is this way or that way, um, he's likely to be shut down or seen as right. being anti-female. I've got to and here, so Dr. he learns Farrell, to shut excuse up. Excuse me. Excuse me again. I've got to uh, take a, a quick time out sure. back and uh, discuss further. Dr. Warren Farrell, The Boy Crisis, right here on The Richard Serrett Show, Saga 960. Back with more in a moment. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. Welcome back. A few minutes remain with Dr. Warren Farrell, co-author of The Boy Crisis. And I have to give you the Herculean task of uh, trying to figure out how we solve this in uh, five minutes or less. How do we solve the boy crisis, Dr. Farrell? Well, when I first submitted The Boy Crisis to my publisher, I had 10 causes of the boy crisis listed. And as as I researched each cause, I found out over and over again that the Prime that the boy crisis resides where dads do not reside. That dad deprivation is this by far and away the single biggest cause of the boy crisis. So one of the things, for example, that I'm worried about is the in, uh, uh, my predict, and I hate to predict this, but I predict that there'll be a very strong, uh, very significant amount of school shootings in the fall if we don't um, begin to understand when boys are depressed and how to detect that. And so I created in the boy crisis an, in, an inventory of 63 red flags of boys um, showing signs of depression or suicide that are often completely overlooked in the culture. And I worry about 
that in relation to school shootings, because when boys, uh, the, the school shootings happen when a few things are quite constant. One, it's almost all males. Uh, number two, it's almost all males with guns. And number three, it's almost all males who are dad deprived. So a male can have a gun and not be dad deprived. And the chances of him doing a school shooting are about zero. Um, but it's um, the it's when all three of all three of those are combined, a boy feels as a result of dad deprivation is very likely to feel without purpose. And um, and uh, the testosterone of a young male that is channeled without purpose is usually channeled toward destructiveness as opposed to when it's channeled with a father involved and the discipline that fathers tend to bring to families, the boundary enforcement. It usually tends to be channeled constructively because the boy learns from that discipline how to do things that makes himself, that makes him feel proud of being uh, in the culture, knowing how to get along with other people, learning how to accomplish things, therefore having people praise him as opposed to criticize him. And that tends to um, bring friends to him. And um, he, he knows more social skills for a lot of reasons. If, if one is reading The Boy Crisis or listening to it on Audible, um, t- take a look at um, very carefully at the differences between dad-style parenting and mom-style parenting and see why that the children that do best have a combination of both. They have what I call checks and balance parenting uh, that leads to the children usually doing the best. Right, right. Um, so uh, I don't I don't want to use this in the pejorative, but moms tend to be more kind of a, a helicopter parent, right? They're nurturing, they're, they're cautious. They tend to be more, yes, they're wonderful at nurturing and they're wonderful at identifying um, the, the talents and charms and um, uh, of a, and uniquenesses of a bo- young boy or, or, or girl. Um, but there's uh, the dads tend to bring to the family table. Um, you know, you, uh, sweetie or son or daughter, you want to be a gymnast? Okay, that's going to require uh, lots of, um, you know, that, that's going to, and you want us to help pay you for, pay, pay for you to, to, to be involved with that? Well, then you've got to do your homework and get it done, and you've got to, um, you know, practice your sessions. And if you don't practice your sessions and you get distracted by an invitation to do video games, that's fine. You can make that choice in life, but don't expect us to pay for it. Don't expect you to, us to take you to school every day to have extra practice time for that and so whereas the mother is more likely to say oh don't be mean he just couldn't get to it today create more of an excuse and have more empathy for the boy or the girl the not practicing the, the basketball re- practice or the gymnastics practice do dads encourage a little bit more risk taking they encourage risk-taking uh, to yes. a greater degree, absolutely. And they also um, require, if you have a goal and you want the support of dad, um, the, the dad is more likely to require things of you, honor you when you fulfill it, but, um, but criticize you when, you when you don't fulfill the goal. All right. So, uh, you know, we've just got about two minutes here, but, it, you know, cr- um, fixing this culture that does not value fatherhood could take generations and generations how do we how do we turn this ship around before it's too late i think we need to start start right away a father warrior program in which we say to boys, we need you. Just like when, when a war erupts, we say, Uncle Sam needs you. When boys or males are told they are needed, 
they're willing to die to fulfill that need. If we tell them they're needed as fathers and they need to begin to to practice toward being fathers by learning good emotional skills, good communication skills, taking care of your younger brother, your younger sister, um, babysitting in the neighborhood, that that's not just for females. We need you to participate in that process and learn how to do that well. Um, then boys will step in. When we start honoring boys for being good fathers, by developing a national father a warrior program, uh, that would be one example of how to have, how to do that. We need to have um, what I call a male teacher corps. These are all things I've discussed with the uh, the White House, uh, both White Houses uh, under um, both President Trump and President Biden. Um, but they they ha- we have not been making significant enough progress on them. The male teacher corps would be a teacher corps that would train men to be um, teachers in elementary and junior high school and then um, give them free tuition for um, training in that uh, in exchange for uh, serving for three or four years as a teacher in in dad-deprived school districts. Oh, they sound like two uh, excellent uh, prescriptions. Uh, I can only wish you Godspeed, Dr. Farrell. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you for really thoughtful questions and listening so well. The Boy Crisis, Why Our Boys Are Struggling and What We Can Do About It, Dr. Warren Farrell and uh, John Gray. All right, that's it for me. Thanks to Jody and Brandon. On tomorrow's program, famed U.S. criminal and civil rights lawyer Alan Dershowitz on the new censorship. Our homeschooling advisor, Ruth Gazkowski. Larry Klayman, founder of Judicial Watch, will uh, be here to talk about the folly of paying ransom to cyber criminals uh, and uh, some more goodies. Until tomorrow at 4. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you tomorrow afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and overpolicing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.